0: Actually two years ago this month I think Or next month that we uh, were with you last And uh, I'm glad to have my wife with me today Stand up Gretchen Come on show them my blessing In Jesus name (laughs) And uh, uh, she doesn't always get to travel with me So I'm excited when when she is with me And uh, so this has been on our calendar for a while It's been a highlight for us I go home on Tuesday And I'm ready to go I miss my church, miss my son. Um, he's going to be 16 years old in a few weeks. And for all of you parents, we did not leave him alone. We left him with his youth pastor, which is almost like leaving him alone. And, uh, and we are uh, ready to go home and see him. Got to see my daughter. She's in Oklahoma City at Southwestern Christian University. And yes, all of you that have known us for a while, yes, we are old people uh she's doing well finishing her second year of college and uh so we she's coming home a week after we get home so this summer we'll be reunited very possibly for the last time as a family so uh you know she's getting older and getting new desires and so everybody go oh thank you thank you so let me say a quick thank you to you guys for the faithful support that you've given us over the years and in fact, from the very beginning of this church, you guys have been supporting us. I would like to say we were the first missionaries you ever supported, but I know that's not true. Because, you know, I'm only Pastor Brian's best ministry friend, you know. Uh, so, <laughs> little joke between us. Uh, but you guys have been faithful to help us. You know, I'm often asked, why should we support a European missionary? And... Uh, uh, You know, listen, I'm all for if we could get a job and do it some other way, we would. But our visa actually requires us not to work a job in Europe. And we have to prove that all of our funds come from the U.S. They don't want us taking jobs away from Belgian people. And can I just be really honest with you today? All the work that we do, it would be impossible for us to work a secular job and continue doing what we do. Uh, We're about 50 hours a week, every week, serving in the organizations that we lead. And so some of the pictures that you see today are uh, some images of the work we do. What's passing by right now is our church, The Bridge, uh, that we started a little, uh, right about five years ago. We just celebrated our four-year anniversary. Pastor Brian came to our very first uh, uh, organized home group and led us that year. In fact, uh, um, your mom was with us, Tress was with us, that tried, right, and I think your sister was with us as well. And uh, we had a great time that was there. Uh, the Bridge is the pride of our, 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 of the work that we do. We love our church family. How many of you believe that you're part of the greatest church in Palm Beach County? Yeah. Okay, yeah. So we believe in planting life-giving churches. And so uh, that has led us to be a part of planting other churches. Presently, we have four new churches that are being in the process of being planted right now. They've gone through all of our training uh, in Belgium. We have three that we're working with in the UK. They've gone through all of our training. And uh, uh, we love, love, love encouraging church planters. Uh, the Lord has opened up some new doors for us. We're doing leadership training right now in several different countries. Uh, in a few weeks, I'll be in Norway, uh, where we're going to be training some leaders there. Uh, we'll hopefully be back in Croatia this summer, also in G- this year, and also in Germany. Uh, and we've been extensively working in the UK. I'm there about seven times a year in the United Kingdom, and uh, providing church plant training and training leaders there. And uh, we also have an event called Converge Week. And we've had some of your young people. I'm hoping this works right now. I hope there's a lot of enthusiasm with what I'm about to do. But can I get an out? (gasps) You've got to do it three times, Connor. That's kind of a converged thing. And I know that you've had young people come from your church to be with us. That's a week that we pour into the lives of young people on a discipleship level. Uh, This year, we decided uh, that uh, we need to go to two different countries to spread it out. Last year, we had 72 young people from eight different countries, and uh, we found out that's just a little too many because we want them serving in ministry. So our goal is to have 50 in Brussels this year and 50 in the country of Wales and the city of Cardiff this year. So thank you so much for helping us make disciples, train leaders, and plant churches. That's our vision, and that's what we do. Give the Lord a hand for what he's doing. Amen? Amen. All right. I got to tell you, uh, I've known this guy in the keyboard for a lot of years. In fact, I don't, know if you real, I don't know if you know this. I first met you when Brian Duncan was at Lake Worth Baptist, and I was working with Zebedee, which was the uh, production company that brought the sound system and all of that. And uh, he had hair back then, and I was skinny. And... Uh, <laughs> And I thought he was the coolest dude because after, after the concert, he sat at the piano and he started playing Diana Ross songs. <laughs> Did you know that? <laughs> Don't do it now. Don't do it now. <laughs> um, but I got to tell you, you guys are blessed, blessed, blessed with your worship team. How many of you believe that? Amen. Amen. And uh, I mean this with all of my heart. In Florida, I have two favorites when it comes to worship leaders. One is a guy by the name of Chad Rogers uh, in Lake City, Florida, at Christ Central Church. And the other guy is Mark Cushell here at Grace. All right, you guys are blessed, blessed, blessed to have, I mean that, very sincere when I mean that. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel chapter nine. And uh, I've been given a time limit to be done. And I was told if I don't, they're reducing my honorarium, my love gifts. So we gotta <laughs> look at somebody and say money talks. All right, here we go. That's all a joke. I'm never coming back, am I? <laughs> all right. First Samuel chapter 9. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read the text, and then I'll fill you in on what we're going to talk about today. First Samuel chapter 9, uh, and in verse 15, it says, Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear the day before Saul came, saying, Tomorrow about this time, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him commander over my people Israel that he may save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people because their cry has come to me. Now, let me stop there for a moment and and give you a little bit of background on this. Uh, Saul became the first king ever in Israel. Now, if you read the chapter before this and the chapter after, you'll realize uh, that God really didn't have intentions of appointing a king. But as the verse we just read, it says, because of their cry has come to me, now God's going to send him a king. And he chose Saul to become that king. Go down to verse 17 with me. So when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, there he is, the man of whom I spoke to you. This one shall reign over my people. Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, please tell me, where is the seer's house? Everybody say the seer. This means the prophet. Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer, I am the prophet. Go up before me to the high place, for you shall eat with me today. And tomorrow I will let you go and will tell you all that is in your heart. But listen to verse 20. This is, this is, this is an awesome verse and it's going to tie in. You'll, you'll see in a moment. But as for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not be anxious about them. For they have been found. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on you and all of your father's house? Father, we thank you for your word. Let we pray today that it is used as seed that will be planted in the good soil that will bring forth a harvest of changed lives. Will we ask you to use the one who's holding the microphone, but we ask it's your voice that we hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, high-five two people and say, it's not about the donkeys. It's not about the donkeys. Now, I want to give you two disclaimers before we get started. Uh, First of all, I think this is my 14th service uh, in the last few weeks, and I've only preached two different messages, so it's very possible if you're searching the internet, you'll hear me preaching this somewhere else. Uh, They're posting it without my permission. Um, you know, it's supposed to sound original everywhere I go. Uh, the second thing is I stole this title from one of my favorite preachers. His name is David Briggs. Uh I preached for us years ago. It's not about the donkeys, but it's a completely different message. I just love the title. And we're going to tie that title in at the very end, and I think you'll be encouraged by it. Uh, I want to give you some background to this text. As we just read, uh, the Lord had prepared uh, uh, Samuel, the prophet, for Saul's arrival. And told him that when he arrives, here's a word you need to give him. And the word was that he would become the first king of Israel. Before this happened, uh, you have to know that the beginning of this chapter, if you go to the very top of it, you'll see that Saul's daddy was a guy named Kish. Now, Kish had obviously some wealth. He had servants. He had these donkeys. And when the donkeys ran away, Samuel went to his son Saul and said, I need you to take one of our servants and I want you to go find our donkeys. Now, in the midst of that journey, it, it took some effort. It took, as we just read, it took at least three days for them, to, for them to continually search for the donkeys that ran away. That's what brings us to this text, okay? Saul was about to give up, but before he gave up, and the only reason he was giving up is because his, he was concerned that his father is now going to be missing him. And so he said, my, I'm concerned my father's going to miss us. So I think we should turn back and go back. And this is where we pick it up because the this, this servant, his servant traveling with him said, it's an important point. His servant traveling with him said, I know of a seer in this city. Maybe he can help us out. Now that's important for you to know. Because it's important who you're hanging out with. It's important that you have somebody that's going to challenge you to say, don't give up. Don't give up. There is a word from the Lord. Come on, somebody. How many guys are with me? It's important that you're with people, uh, you know, that aren't going to give up with you. It's important that you're with people that are going to say, just keep pushing on. Amen? And that's what brings us to this passage, okay? So let me ask you a few questions. How many of have ever gone through seasons of life, and at the end of that season, you said to yourself, what was that all about? Come on, folks. How many you ever felt like God was on vacation when you're trying to do exactly what he's asked you to do, right? I don't think anybody in here has ever woke up and said, you know, I just want to be disobedient to God. I don't want to serve him. I think all of us have a deep desire to be connected to him. But often when we're in the pursuit of being connected to him, you know, life happens. Anybody ever go through life and it just happens? I was reading the book years ago and I told the first service, Uh, Pastor Jamie and Leah Peters, when they wrote their book, No Retreats, No Regret. That book came in my life at such an important time. I was so frustrated with where we were at and not sure what the next turn was going to be. And when I read their journey, and if you ever read the book, and any of you that have known them for years and have heard the stories, I mean, they just went through one battle after the other. And I just think of them as generals in the faith. And I'm thinking, good God God Almighty, if they can do it, I can do it. Come on, folks. (laughs) Amen. And in that book, they talk about going to Tanzania, and they had worked for an entire year. Nothing happened. Could not get the church legal. Had a small group of people uh, meeting at their house, and they finally felt it's time to leave. And so they got on the plane and looked at each other and said, "What was that all about?" Now, how many of you ever been one of those seasons? Well, let me tell you guys. There's something about frustration. And if I was to ask you today, how many of you have ever been frustrated? How many of you guys would testify? That's me. If you could put up both hands and both feet, how many of you guys would say, I have been frustrated? Well, this is something, I told the first service, you know, there's something I call YouTube University. And this is, you know, where a lot of pastors get their messages. They steal it off of YouTube from other people, you know. And there's something you're not going to hear on YouTube University, and that's this. Frustration. How many of you have been frustrated? Is a gift from God. Now, I'm going to explain this in a moment. Frustration is a gift from God. Because frustration requires action. Frustration requires change. Now, my definition of frustration is when our expectation and our circumstances oppose one another. When our expectation, our desires... And our circumstances are not working together. How many of you guys have ever been there? But here's what happens. Frustration's a gift because frustration, for, for, for frustration to be resolved, it requires change. And unfortunately, change is usually required within us. We have to step back, evaluate ourselves, and say, here's my desire, here's my circumstances, how can those come together together? And the reality is, it usually requires change and change in us. Maybe you have to change your priorities. Maybe you have to change your schedule. Maybe you have to change the relationships that are in your life. Maybe you need to change your attitude. Maybe you need to develop new disciplines. Maybe you need to stay away from McDonald's and eat a salad. Come on, folks. How many of have ever been... Hey, hey, don't, sit, don't yell too loud at that, all right? So... I'm sure we've all been through frustration, but frustration is a gift. Now, it was several years ago that we were, uh, several years ago when we were uh, youth pastors up in North Florida, as Pastor Brian mentioned. We had a a financial advisor came, and he spent the entire week with the church, Sunday to Sunday. And he was meeting with people in the church one-on-one. It was a free service that we were providing. And he was helping them to arrange their finances. So the entire week in the church office, he was there while we were there. Gretchen was working as a bookkeeper. I was the youth pastor in the church. And so he saw us day in and day out, and he got to know us a little bit. We were one of the last couples that he met with. And when he met with us, he's a former pastor. His name is Jim Roberts. And he said to me, he said, Bill, can I just be honest with you? And I said, sure. He said, there is a restlessness about you. Now, this is right before we made the decision to move to Belgium there is a restlessness inside of you. That was the first time that I could put a word to what I was feeling. Folks, we were in youth ministry for 12 years. The Lord blessed that. We worked with the largest youth conference in America. We had the largest youth group in our city. We had done the mission trips. We have done uh, 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 the youth camps. We had an internship. I mean, we just felt very fulfilled in the work that we were doing. We had nothing to complain about. But yet inside of me, there was this desire for something different. Now, here's the difference. I wasn't frustrated. In fact, we were at the top of our game. But yet there was a season of change that was coming. Restlessness is God's signal that something new is coming. Frustration is God's signal that something needs to change in you. How many of you guys understand what I'm saying? Here's the challenge. We often change seasons in the midst of frustration. And if you don't deal with the things that are frustrating you, you're just going to carry it into the next season. And you're going to repeat the perpetual cycle. Right? Pastor Brian mentioned this in the first service you're tired of your first marriage, so you run on to the second marriage. I just recently spoke to a pastor who had remarried, and he was about five years into the second marriage. And he told me, he said, Bill, I've kind of learned it's better to work on the first marriage than to go after the second one. Why? Because you're bringing that same baggage into the next marriage. How many of you guys understand what I'm saying today? So I want to look at some things in, the, in, in Saul's life. I want to give you three things that we can see about his character because often when we think about Saul, we think about this king who sinned against God. We think about this king who, was, uh, who sinned against David and just made horrible decisions. But we can see from this text that he wasn't always like that way. That we can see in this text that he, God's hand was upon him. And God had a plan for his life. So I want us to learn three things about his character. You guys ready? If this will help you today, how many of you will stay with me? All right, we're going to leave at 1.30, so get ready. All right, look at somebody and say, that's not true. That's not true. All right, here we go. Number one, mundane time is not wasted time. I want you to say this with me. Everybody say mundane time mundane is not wasted time. Now, when I talk about mundane, I'm talking about those mindless activities that require no effort. How many of you ever worked at McDonald's? Okay, now some of you did, but you're ashamed to raise your hand. It's okay, no. This message is for you, all right? You take the hamburger, you put it on the bun, you slide it down. That's your job. Take the hamburger, put it on the bun, slide it down. It's an assembly line of food. You put the hamburger on the bun, slide it down. The next guy puts on the ketchup, slides it down. Mindless. Anybody can do it, right? This is like the perfect picture of mundane activity. But here's what I want to tell you. Mundane seasons are required for growth. Because it's in the mundane that our character is established. It's God uses the mundane to build our character. So years ago, I was at a Christian rock concert, and I'm telling you, the Lord spoke to me. He spoke to me so clear that there was a special call in my life that I was to preach the gospel. And I'm telling you, this was a massive experience for me. A guy that had no purpose, a guy that didn't know where his life was going, and suddenly the Lord is speaking. And I'm telling you, from that point on, I carried my Bible anywhere that I went because I was ready to preach. The anointed man of God. (laughs) Well, there's one thing you gotta understand the anointing requires preparation. Come on, folks. And so the youth pastor of our church, which was Trinity Church, Pastor Kevin Pitt came to me one day. And he said, Bill, we have a ministry for you. And I said, yes, I got my Bible. Where do you need me to preach? What Wednesday do you need me to speak to the youth and bring the revelatory word of the Holy Ghost? And he said, Bill, put down the Bible. No, He said, Bill, we need a minister of light. Why is it that Pentecostal people got to spiritualize everything? We need the ministry of the chair setter upper. We need the plunger ministry. Come on, folks. Now, I just got to tell you, how many preachers are in the room today? I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to help you guys out. Because you'll never be able to preach out of the book of John or First John or Second John or Third John until you learn how to clean the John. Okay? Look at somebody and say, you got to learn how to serve. And so we look today, we have this beautiful projection from these beautiful projectors and we have people hiding in the back. You can't even see them that are controlling all of that. But the ministry of light was special because we used to have, you young people, everybody under the age of 40, I'm going to blow your mind. Okay? <laughs> we used to have this, this box of light that would shoot light up and a magnifying glass would project it to the wall. You couldn't hide back there. You had to stand right here to project it there so you could see the words. Everyone saw you. It was called an overhead projector. Clear transparency paper with words on it. How many of you guys remember that? Are there any other ministers of lights in the building? Come on, folks. Okay. And so I cannot think of a more mundane job in my life. Remember, remember the hamburger? On the buns, slide it down. On the bun, slide it down. Here's your job as the minister of light. On the transparency paper, put it on the projector. Next verse, put it on the projector. Next verse, put it on. Do not be late with the verse. Because the music guy is going to get mad at you. Come on, folks. I mean, I'm thinking to myself, don't they know I've been called to preach the gospel? Don't they know? Didn't they go to the concert when Jesus spoke to me? And this is my job, the minister of light. Diana Bezell was the worship leader at that point in our youth group. She said, Bill, we have rules to this. What kind of rules can there be? She said, you have to worship because everybody has seen you. So here's my job. You... You can't get too worked up in it because you might mix the ne- miss the next verse. Come on, folks. How many of you understand? I'm telling you, I thought these people do not understand the talent that's with them. The anointing that's, they're depriving the youth group from my anointing. Now, listen, your pastor thought the same stuff. Don't let him fool you. But I'm going to tell you what that season of mundane God used it in my life because I began to get a new attitude. I began to realize that what I was doing was as as important as the people preaching the word every week. And I began to have an excellence come about me. I had to keep a filing cabinet of everything in alphabetical order. And I had to, you know, I've learned how to worship in the midst of the mundane. And in fact, the rare times that I was, had the time off, that I didn't have to do that, those rare times and other people were doing it, I began to judge them because they weren't doing it correctly. <laughs> Come on, folks, because you know that's what you do in the Holy Ghost. <laughs> the mundane builds character. They gave me a new job, Bill. We have a new job for you. Oh, let me get my Bible. Where can I preach? We need you to come early, 5 o'clock on Wednesdays, and set up the chairs. Don't they know the anointing that's on my life? I'm not the chair setter-upper. We need you to set up the sound system. And here's what he said. He said, because the leaders, we're going to meet in the back in the kitchen, and we're going to have a meal together, and we're going to prepare for the service. So we need someone to set everything up. I mean, I wasn't even invited to dinner. Come on, folks. Listen, you don't want to not invite me to dinner. Come on. And they flaunted it. I could smell the food. They left the door open to the kitchen. I could hear the laughs, and here I am setting up the chairs. But, folks, I want you to know I am convinced today I would not be leading the organizations I lead today if it wasn't for those seasons. Let me tell you one of the hardest things you'll ever do is to be faithful in seasons of frustration. Come on, folks. The very fact that you're frustrated is the very sign that God is still working on your character. Does that make sense? I am convinced that that season prepared me for on that today. I love planting churches, and I'm telling you, you set up a lot of chairs when you're a church planter you you deal with a lot of sound systems when you're a church planter and here's what happens it brings us to point number 2 attitude is everything attitude is everything now what we see let, let me let me back up i got to make this textual I, i'm getting ahead of myself saul when he was asked to go look for his father's donkeys what you don't see him doing is arguing with his dad don't you know I'm anointed Don't you know I'm your son? I'm the prince of the house? That's not what he says. He does exactly the mundane task. He doesn't say, I'm your son. Go find another servant to go find these donkeys. No, he does exactly what his father says. That's important. Now, attitude is everything. What you also don't see is him doing a halfway job because attitude will determine the level of excellence that you serve in. The mundane builds your character. Your attitude exposes your character. How many of you guys with me? And so when we look at this text, Saul, he doesn't go to one city and then come home and go, well, Dad, I did the best I could. How many of you have teenagers? Come on, folks. You know teenagers is a short word for is a abbreviated word for house servant. Come on, folks. Ryan, can you please find my phone? Yes, Dad. 22 seconds later, I can't find it. Did you look on my desk? Nope. This is what they do. Can you please find my phone? Sure. Can't find it. Come on, folks. Go clean your room. Two and a half minutes later, my room's clean. No, it's not. Come on. Am I the only parent? Right? You see, your attitude will determine the excellence that you serve in. We look at Saul. Saul didn't go to one city. He didn't go to two cities. He went to five different cities three days later. And the only reason he was willing to give up was because he didn't want his father being concerned about him. Now, folks, here's what I'm telling you. You cannot invest the minimum and expect the maximum results in return. And you, you will never invest the maximum until your attitude is right in the journey. Come on, folks. You see, we always look at the destination. Oh, the Lord visited me. I have a dream. And we see the destination. We see the event. But what you got to realize is God sees the journey. Because he's more concerned about preparing you for the destination. And can I just be honest with you? We have mega church pastors who avoided those journeys, and those journeys of character building, those journeys of attitude checks. They've avoided those journeys, and just because they have a gift, they have charisma, and people follow them, they think that's the anointing. But suddenly they're exposed for moral failures. Suddenly they're exposed for issues in their life, and it gives the church a bad reputation. I am preaching better than you're shouting right now. Come on, folks. You have to go through the mundane. It's part of the journey because it challenges your character. You have to go through the process of the attitude check because that determines the excellence that you serve in. How many of you guys believe that? And that brings us to point number three. It's the last point, it's my favorite one. God is waiting on the other side of your obedience. God is waiting on the other side of your obedience. I want you to see this for a moment. And I'm going to spend just a few moments on this point. But here, Kish, Saul's father, says, I'm going to send you to go find my donkeys. Everybody stay mundane. Character building. We see his attitude of excellence. He doesn't give up. He does the best that he can. Excellence being exposed. But when we come to verse 19 and 20, here's what you have to see. In verse 15 and 16, the Lord is preparing Samuel. Tomorrow, a man from Benjamin is coming. His name is Saul. You'll speak to him everything that I share with you. You see, the Lord was waiting and preparing for Saul. So here's my question. Would have he encountered the word of the Lord if he was disobedient and said, no, I'm not going? Come on, folks. And when we get to verse 19 and 20, here's what it says. It's verse 20. As for your donkeys that were gone three days ago, they've been found. Now, I believe with all my heart, the Lord caused... The donkeys to run away so that Kish would send his son Saul to find the donkeys it wasn't about the donkeys it was about the journey that Saul had to go on I don't know what you're going through right now but I can tell you this don't give up in the journey let the mundane develop your character let the mundane develop who you are Have the right attitude in the journey. Don't give up because on the other side of your obedience, you'll meet God.